Uh, it, it was a great time to grow up. It was really, really a tight-knit community. Families knew families. Families looked up for families. Welcome to the Start Anywhere podcast. You're in the right place if you want to hear inspiring stories and get fired up to live life to the fullest. I'm Crystal Garrett, broadcaster turned podcaster, former national team runner and serial goal getter. Every week you'll hear fascinating stories from people all over the world. Every single person you'll meet once started anywhere and eventually made their dreams come true. The aim of this podcast is to entertain you but hopefully inspire you. Whether you're after a small goal or a big dream, the best place to start is wherever you are right now. So let's go. Let's do this. Let's start anywhere. Today on the Start Anywhere podcast, we meet Sean Parker, a street outreach navigator who now works on the very same streets he grew up on. Those streets are in Halifax and Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And that's where I live too. Now, Halifax is a bigger city across the harbour from Dartmouth, which is kind of like New York City to Brooklyn. You can get across the harbour by bridge or ferry. It's actually a beautiful community, but of course it has its problems like anywhere else. And Sean's job is to help people who are having problems. And in fact, every job he's ever had has been in service of others. And he speaks today about how helping others helps him. And you really won't find a happier person. I wanted him on the Start Anywhere podcast because he actually started anywhere when he was six years old. And Sean will tell us that story in a minute. But to meet Sean is to love Sean. He's a handsome, elegant man in his early 60s. He's warm and kind. He's always genuine. I met him a few years back. I did some videos with Sean to raise funds for the work that he does, which is helping people in need. In fact, some of these people have nowhere to live. Others are, you know, just one bill away from the streets. Some need groceries for their families. Sean literally carries two cell phones, which are ringing constantly. And he actually gets calls in the middle of the night from people who are contemplating hurting themselves or others. He always answers those calls, and he has literally saved many lives. But before this job, he was on the front lines of helping to deal with gun violence in Halifax with a program called Ceasefire. I mean, the man has really seen it all. But he remains so positive and so full of love. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sean. It's not a long one. So if you're looking for a quick hit of motivation and you want to feel good, listen up. Let's start with that day your brother invited you to join him after school at the Y. Wow. <laughs> I attended Alexandra Junior High in the central part of Halifax. So this one day, my, I called him Marky at, the, at that time. His name is Mark. He said, oh, wait for me after school. And I said, Marky, why would I have to wait for you after school? Because I got my friends. He had his friends. He really didn't hang out with your older brother. So all my friends are there. Sean, you coming? You coming? No, I got to wait for Marky. So Mark comes out of the entrance, and we started walking. Come on. We started walking down Kumwala Street. We get to Brunswick. We make a right, and I ask Mark, where are we going? Just come on. So we walk along Brunswick Street, and then we cross the street, and we look like we're going to uh, Brunswick Street United Church. I said, Marky, why are we going to church? It's not Sunday. He said, <laughs> he just turned around and laughed at me. Come on. So we walked down these uh, flight of stairs, and we walked into what was called the community wide. It wasn't, you know, like in recreation centers today. It was just in the bottom of a, a, a church where they had a basketball court below the top piece. And I was just excited about being able to run around and just be a kid. I was only six years old. So 
by the end of the night, a gentleman came to me by the name of Terry Simon and said, you want to try out for the basketball team? I didn't know nothing about no basketball, but I said, yes. You know, so I go home, and we're at the dinner table, and I'm excited. I'm telling my mom and dad I'm going to try out for the basketball team. You know, Marky, let's go. You know, too, no, it's too early, son. We'll go. So I show up at the gym, at the gym. Um, the guys were older than me. They were two years older than me. Than me. They were eight, and I was only six, but I was a tall, lanky kid. And so they were doing some ball drills and stuff like that. I was running around the gym like an airplane, <laughs> and when I got tired, I ran the other way. <laughs> By the end of the night, I made the team. Don't ask me how I made the team, <laughs> but I made the team, and I was like, oh, so excited. You know, I've never played on a team or, or any kind of organized sport to that point. I was still only six, and I was went home. I told my mom and dad, you know, I was so happy just to be, I made the team. I made the team, and plus, you know, making the team with your older brother. Yeah, so that was quite, quite, you know, quite the experience. That's, that's my, my, yeah, the story with my introduction to basketball and the community wide. But that was a big day. That day changed your life, Sean. It did. Yeah. It did. It did. It did, Crystal. Um, I had the privilege, and I call it a privilege, of my first coach I ever had, Terry Simons. You know, that believed in this lanky kid at six years old that ran around the gym like an airplane. When he got tired, he ran the other way. That he seen something I didn't see, mm-hmm. right? And to have him guide me for the next seven years, the next seven years, not only just in the ball piece of it, right? I developed and I became one of the, you know, top kids from my age groups in, in Canada. Uh, played in international team uh, tournaments at, at the community Why we were always known for strong basketball teams, and I think it started way back then. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, not only about the basketball piece, uh, even though I was still young, he set it the foundation on being a good person, grown into be a, a person that cares. Right? Uh, I remember him saying to me, give back what was given to you. And I hold that model from the 60s right to today, you know. I'll tell anyone, you know, to give back what was given to you, right? Not only me, Crystal, he has such an influence in the community it's from kids that came after me, right? He's um, a legend in our community. They honored him. He passed away young, early. Um, it was a loss, a big loss to the community, because he really cared about the youth, you know. He started programs that's like carry the ball, carry the ball. Right? We took the slogan from New Jersey, each one teach one. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was all about giving back, giving back. Um, he's a very one who believed in education. Right? Yeah, he was just he was an integral part of my life growing up, right? growing up. And you used what he taught you on the court and in life. And I know that you went on to volunteer and, and work with youth for years. So tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, um, I've always been involved in ath- athletics, right? Um, I found athletics was a, a tool that can be used to bring people together. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everybody has some kind of athletic ability, you know what I'm saying? But now... Can you use that to break down some barriers or, you know, to have them some serious conversation with youth, you're right, and trying to help guide them how Terry Simons, Terry Simons guided me, 
You're right. Um, I have, you know, many of sayings, but like I said, trust is a hard thing to get, but an easy thing to lose. Mm. And so when you got these young men, and even young women, you're right, that's holding on to every word you say, you're right, you got to be truthful, and, and not so much of a frankness with them, but just have their best interests. Yeah, have their best interests. So you did become quite a celebrated basketball player around here, mm-hmm. and then it, it, you ended up going to Toronto for a while. Yes. And I understand you worked with youth there for many, many years, but you ended up getting kind of roped into a an opportunity that I think a lot of people listening will be surprised. You got into show basketball. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a competitive basketball player, you know, playing provincially, playing nationally and playing internationally, uh, I had the pleasure of, you know, represent my province and represent my country through the game. Um, I kind of, like, got away from it, you know. Um, I was at George Brown College in downtown Toronto. I used to have pickup games. And this gentleman was watching me play, and he came to me. His name was Ari Mitchell from Grand Rapids, Michigan, but we called him Goose. And he said, um, would you be interested in trying out for my team? The team? What kind of team you have, sir? He said, I have a show basketball team. A show basketball team. Yeah, he said, similar to the Harlem Globetrotters. My first response, oh, man, I don't play, you know, jump basketball, clown basketball, whatever. Yeah, I, I play competitive basketball. He said, no, just come on to practice tomorrow and just tell me what you think about it. All right, so I went there. And it was kind of like, and then he said, come on, just Come on with me, just just play with us, You're right? So I decided to play with them. We had uh, Larry Geddes out of Buffalo, George Daniels out of Buffalo. We had Silk out of Cleveland. We had uh, Rob out of out of Cleveland, and me and Goose. You right? Uh, I found the love for basketball again. I found the love of basketball again because it was about a show. It was about a show. It was about putting a smile on folks' face, having some fun playing this game as opposed to being, you know, serious about this game. It was just all about a show. Um, We had the privilege of traveling, you know, the upper uh, Midwest, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Illinois, um, throughout Ontario, throughout Manitoba. We even came down here and played one time. Um, It was fun. It was fun. I had a ball. And the name of the team was called the Harlem Diplomats. It was a ball. And you would just travel around, and you would be getting paid to, to play games. Yeah. Like, basically, like a little show. Like, how, how, would, that, how would that work? Like, what is it? Because I used to grow up watching the Globetrotters, mm-hmm. and I thought they just looked like the coolest guys in the world. Mm-hmm. But I always wondered, like, is that real basketball? Like, how does that work? It is, in a way. You're right. Because, I mean... You always still got to come out the winner in the game, you know. It's nice <laughs> to put a show on, but you don't want to put a show on and lose the game. Yeah. You're right. Um, but also, too, is incorporating uh, the town, the high school. We would come in, and we would ride that town that night. We would stay. We would come to the first show we would do would be at the local high school. If you're familiar with high schools in the rural parts of, the, uh, of America, they were big high schools. They were big gyms. Right? We would do a show in the afternoon for the school itself, right, uh, against the basketball team, right? And then we would do a show that night for the town against the counselors and the, you know, folks that had made up of the, the, the town itself, right? Um, 
We are ranked second in North America as far as putting a, a show on. So we would do the water one. We would do the baseball one. You know, there'd be pots, and I would tell Goose, take center jump, and Goose would start jumping. And I said, "No, in the center, you're right." And he would turn around and said, "Okay, why don't you just tell me?" I said, "I just told you, you're right." So you know, we were ad lib when we'd be talking and stuff like that. We'd be mic'd up and stuff, but um, I got to love it. I got to love it because, like I said, because that was. Um, I was just putting a smile on folks' face. Yeah, that sounds and it great. Was, and it wasn't serious. You know, the game wasn't serious. And that number one was the Globetrotters, right? Like, mm -hmm. you were you were right there. Yeah. Right there, the top yeah. of, that, of that field. Yes. So you got back into um, work again. Like, you left that world and got into the sort of the professional world of counseling again. And, mm -hmm. and you, you came back to Halifax, and you had a role with a, I believe it was sort of a new organization at the time, Ceasefire. Yes. Tell us about that role. Okay. I'll tell you a little bit about Ceasefire first. Um, I think it was in the year of 2016, we had a rash of gun violence. We had a lot of killings within the HRM, through gun. All right. So, a program was launched, and the program originates out of Chicago, which is called Cure Violence now, uh, to combat the gun violence that we had here in Toronto at, at that time. It was a federal-funded program. And so I was hired as a, an outreach worker. Uh, I was working with kids at risk of committing, you know, serious offense whether it's murder or anything involving guns, and not even just guns, uh, trying to change behaviors and norms within our community, right? Um, was it tough? Yeah, because it was, uh, you know, I remember the night I showed up on one killing on Godigan Street, and it just, to hear that mother scream while her son was still laying in the car, it's, um, it's still, today, it still bothers me, you know what I'm saying? Um the program had its, 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 its good parts to it, right? Um, there were some things that, you know, we could have, you know, uh, done a little bit better, right? But then again, it was just a grassroots program that just got launched. But I say this, we did make a difference. We did make a difference because gun violence did go down. Right? I've mediated numerous of conflicts that probably could have led to a violent act. Right. And, uh, so um, I say it's something that the province and the federal government should really look at, sort of like implementing throughout the country in some of our major cities, right? Because the folks that work in that field has to be credible messengers, have to have sort of inroads, as we call inroads, be able to have them conversations with them, with the, the folks that are in that in that circle. You know what I'm saying? It's hard for someone that just don't have that connection to go in there and have these conversations if they don't know you. So this was happening in the neighborhood you grew up. You went back and yeah. worked there to, to try to um, make a difference in this very challenging situation. Yes. What does that look like when you showed up that night and, and you there was a, a woman in distress and someone had lost their life? Like, what's your role? Where where do you begin to do your work? Well, I try to at first just pick up as much information as I partially began there. Supported the mother on that occasion right there, you're right. Um, stayed in contact after that night. 
you know, just a, you know, do a, a check-in, how you doing and stuff like that. Is anything we can support you on our end with? You know what I'm saying? It was many occasions like that. that. That's the sad thing about it. You know what I'm saying? Either after the fact, you're right, of a youth losing his life. I remember there was one day where I went to a young man's funeral that, that was killed and left that funeral to go to another man's funeral that was killed. You know, I'd never experienced that, you know, in all my years, you're right. And it's an eye-opener, and you're trying to figure, well, where are we going wrong? What, what are we doing, you know what I'm saying? As a society that our young men are resorting to that level of violence where I'm willing to take your life, you know, over what? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Over what? Um, but many a times I've gone down to Waterville to have some serious conversation with some of the youth that was in detention down there in Burnside, right? And just trying to give them my wisdom. Because one thing about a choice you make, once you make it, you can't, can't undo it. It's something you have to live with. So these are people you visited in jail? Yeah. Um, what drives a person to the desperate state where they feel that they must take someone else's life with a gun? I think we had to answer that, Crystal. We could probably solve a lot of it. They're so complex. There's so many things that, that plays a role in that. You know what I'm saying? The, the education piece, the, 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 uh, the employment piece, you're right. Um, trying to fit in with a, a crew or a clique, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, it's, it's so complex. You know, um, I say this, so. Social media sometimes has a, a big role to play in it. You know, you you turn on something now you see someone pointing a gun or with a hand signal or having guns, and so they're trying to. It's almost like they're trying to make it a, a cool thing to do. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I say one thing about a bullet has nobody's name on it. You know, once that comes out, you don't know where it's going and who's it going to and who's it going to affect. And the thing about that. It's not that the perpetrator and the victim are the only ones that are affected. It's the parents, it's the grandparents, it's the community. In some cases, it's family killing family. Mm. You know, we're, we're not like a, 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 a million uh, population of blacks. You know, we're a few blacks. And normally we're tied in somewhere down the line with family being family. You know, right? And so that, that's the hard piece. But with that being said, um, it's believing in changing behaviors and changing them. No, no young man, no, no kid comes into this world violent. It's a learned behavior. And if you can learn something that's bad, you can unlearn it. And you said gun violence went down. I know you made a difference in people's lives because you, you showed me letters that people still tell mm -hmm. you to this day. So how did you go in there and, and change things for the better in the way that you could? Like I said, going back to what I said earlier, um, be able to, to be able to connect with them, right? Uh, through my basketball career and through my name, they know who I am. So it makes it a lot more easy to have that conversation with you, right? Uh, they know me as coach at Citadel. You're right, a lot of these kids, you're right. Um, and me just being who I am, you know, I'll, I'll bend over backwards for anybody. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that extra step for you, you're right. And I'm blessed in that piece of the ability, the ability to engage 
very quickly, to build a relationship very quickly. You're right, because uh, you just can't walk in there and have a conversation. They look at you, go on about your business, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So um, I'm blessed in, the, in that category, baby. That was something that, you know, Terry Simons installed in me as a young man. Mm-hmm. And all I did is develop it, you know, along the years of my, of my life. Can you share an example of one of the letters one of the young men wrote you about how you impacted their life? I call him my son, Dion, Dion, Dion Wilcox. I met Dion at the YMCA as a young man, 15, kind of lost. All his friends were into other things. He wanted to do something different. He didn't want to be a part of the game. He wanted to be something different. And we started talking, and we just built on it from there. And he loved the game of ball. So I started working with him, just, you know, drills and stuff like that. And our relationship became, like, very, very solid, right? And I asked him, I said, you know, what do you want to do, right? He said, I'd like to graduate from university. I said, are you serious? you really looking? I said, you know, you could use ball as that tool to get there, right? So we continued to work on his game, and at that time, I still had connections with the university coaches down here. I would send some players already down here. You know, and I reached out to uh, the healthy coach, Tim McGarrick, and I said, I got this young man you know, that I think would be a good fit for your team. And they sort of like believed me because I wouldn't send them something that's going to be a headache. You know what I'm saying? So I took Dion down. We used to have a, a tournament called the Provincial Black Basketball Tournament, you know, to play. And so Coach uh, McGarrickle seen him, liked him, brought him down for a visit and stuff like that. Uh, to make a long story short, Dion attended Dell, played for Dell, and graduated from Dell. Wow. It's an inner city kid for the Toronto. You're right. He touched my life as much as I touched his life. You know what I'm saying? Because he believed in me. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And now he's one of the top marketing guys uh, for Puma in New York. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's one of many of kids. Um, in total, I might have sent about 11 kids down here to go to university. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So they were kind of like down in Toronto uh, as Coast P. You know what I'm saying? But I was... I think what I left there with the youth that I built relationship with is that I'm there for you. I'm there for you. And even right through today, they still call me, like, you know, hey, Pops, how you doing? Yeah, they'll call me just to check on me, you know what I'm saying? That's fantastic. Yeah. Did you know, Season 2 of the Start Anywhere podcast is already in the works. If you have an inspiring story or you know someone who does, get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you. I'm looking for stories from people who once started anywhere, then made a dream come true at different ages and stages of life. Maybe that's you, or maybe it's someone who inspires you. Either way, I want to know about it. And I'd love for you to join the Start Anywhere community. Sign up for the newsletter to keep tabs on what's happening behind the scenes. You can get my contact information in the show notes or go to my website, crystaljoygarrett.com. Now, back to the episode. So you have a different role now. I know you work with the downtown Dartmouth and and North End Halifax Business Commissions as a street outreach worker. Mm -hmm. So you're still working in the neighborhood where you grew up. Yes. What kind of work do you do now? Well, I'm a street navigator outreach worker, and I work with folks that are facing challenges. 
And I'm trying to be a wide range of things, from housing to addiction to everything underneath the sun, Crystal, to be honest, which is hard to just say. But I just look at it, what way can I support you or take some of this load off your shoulders? You know what I'm saying? And it all starts with that conversation. And again, trust. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the... My, my my peoples that are over here, you know, facing challenges. They they lost trust in the system. You know, they've been let down so many times. So, you know, to build that trust with them is, is, is an important tool because without that, you can't build or you can't move forward or you can't help them. You know, they have to have that trust with you. But yeah, it's it's a wide range of of things that I do. Uh, might be me stepping in to keep a roof over your head, meaning preventing eviction prevention by covering some of your, your rent for you. It might be me step, uh, stepping in that you don't have enough for your diabetes medicine and me jumping in there to make sure that you have that. Or keeping your power on, you're right, or keeping food on your table. Or, most important, is sometimes it's just a conversation. Someone that they, you, they can talk to and understand where they're coming from. Yeah. You, I don't know if a lot of communities have somebody like you, but your role, the way I can describe it best is you're sort of the messy middle. There's the system and then there's the person in need and you're there, you're more agile and you can do things that the system can't do. You mm-hmm. can just, because of donations and, and support mm-hmm. from the community, you're able to just, okay, here's money, here's a card, go get yourself mm-hmm. um, some groceries. Or you told me recently that someone gave you a Walmart gift card and you went and got somebody a coat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, you physically went to the store, got the coat. coat. Yeah. Like, you can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that happens quite often, Chris, though. You know, Um, I I look at it, I'm the bridge between the services or the government or whatever. I'm that bridge that they can use to walk across. I will advocate on their behalf, you know what I'm saying, or I would lead them in the right direction, you know, to the resources that they might be needing at, at that time, you're right? So I sort of like meet them where they're at, mm-hmm. you're right, and see what way we can get to the next step of where you want to be. But you walk down the street, Sean, and you're just a, like a ball of light. Like mm-hmm. you're just this handsome guy standing up straight smiling. Like you're generally always in a good mood. If there's something going on, you let us know, and it's and it's – and it's for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you stay so positive when there's so much need and people who need you all around you every day? First of all, I was blessed to wake up. I was blessed to wake up. And now I just look at it, and I always had this uh, for many moons. What difference can you make today? What difference thing can you make today? I try not to let things get up underneath me. But believe me, there are some stories that, you know, when I get home at night, it runs through my head. Did I do? Did I do enough? You know what I'm saying? A mother reaching out to you with three kids and don't have no food, and okay, you you took care of you helped her in that situation. You right, but to know that a mother is going through that struggle to try to feed the kids, and when she says, "I'm not worried about me eating," you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I wear my heart on my sleeve. You right? I'm a caring person. I'm a passionate person. You're right. Um, but I also look at it that, hey, you can do what you can do. You're right. And do the best that you can do. You're right. Um, I don't promise nothing that I can't deliver. You're right. Uh, 
And I just look at it like, hey, I'm where I should be. I'm where I should be because it's about giving back what was given to you. And you learned that when you were six years old. Six years old, and I'm 61 today. So um, what advice, I guess, for somebody listening right now who is going through a hard time, and their life can be really hard. You know that as mm-hmm. much as anybody. What would your advice be to that person, how to stay positive when, when they're just facing so many challenges in their life at the moment? Believe. Believe. The rain can't rain every day. The sun will shine. Right? You just can't give up on it. And don't be as scared. Go and ask for help, the help that you need whether it's mental health, whether it's addiction, whether it's reaching out to someone just to talk to, whether it's uh, uh, someone stepping in to make sure that you're not being evicted by the end of the month because you can't meet that rent. Reach out. Um, I'm easy to get a, get a hold of. A lot of people know me, especially at 211 and all those counselors and, and all the ones in the, in the neighborhood. You're right. Um, don't suffer alone. There's some folks out there that really care. Thank you, Sean. No, thank you, Chris. I really enjoyed this. Sean Parker can be reached by email, and I have included that in the show notes. But you can also support his work if you want to by purchasing toques, T-shirts, and other merchandise from the Downtown Dartmouth Business Commission. Each item has an uplifting message like be kind or take care or keep your head up. I actually have a toque and two T-shirts. They're super comfy, and every time I wear them, I get compliments from people who love the messages. It's not an ad. I'm just saying they're lovely things, and they're supporting a good cause. In fact, all of those messages are also on murals around the community where I live, so if you ever get the chance to visit downtown Dartmouth, A, definitely check out all the murals, and B, definitely ride the ferry. It's extremely fun. And C, tell me that you're coming, because maybe I can roll out the red carpet for you. Who knows? Next on the Start Anywhere podcast, join us for a chat with Jerry Drogomir and Evan Dunphy. Jerry is an Olympic coach, and Evan is an Olympic medalist in race walking. Five years ago, six years ago from that moment, I would have done anything for that medal, because that medal would have defined success. Evan and Jerry talk about what it takes to win on the world stage, but the winning formula is a process that all of us can apply to our own lives. It's simple, but it's not easy. And Jerry tells us that Olympic athletes are actually ordinary people like you and me, but they aim higher than most of us do. And Evan shares openly about failing and winning on the world stage. And Jerry shares his proven process for goal setting that you can start today to bring actual fulfillment into your life, not just success for the sake of success. It's one of my favorite conversations ever on the Start Anywhere podcast, and I really look forward to you joining us. Thanks for listening to the Start Anywhere podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, consider giving it a five-star review before you go. This makes a huge difference in helping people find the podcast more easily. And we're trying to start a movement of positivity here. Before we go, I want to give special thanks to Mike Boyd, who produces this show in the Podcast Atlantic Studios in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks again for listening. And until we meet again, remember, whether you're folding a pile of laundry or chasing a big dream, the best thing you can do is start anywhere.